This episode of the Braving Business Podcast is sponsored by, well, me. I'm PJ Benoit, and I've been in the domestic and international logistics space for over 30 years. If you need any assistance with transportation or logistics, my team and I will jump at the chance to help. Whether it be parcel shipments, e-commerce, pallets and freight, full truckload, international air and ocean, imports, exports, warehousing and distribution, or really anything under the logistics umbrella, we got you covered. For more details, please go to shipwithpj.com. That's shipwithpj.com. Reach out to me there. Mention you found me on this podcast for a special surprise. And one last quick thing. If you enjoyed this episode, please stay on after the show to learn more about the Braving Business Podcast and other great episodes for you to discover. And now, let's get the show started. Well, hello there. Man, am I glad to see you. <laughs> well, uh, thanks. I'm also very glad to see you, buddy. Yeah, but I wasn't sure I'd see you yesterday because there was, uh, there was a tornado a quarter mile from my house. Holy crap. And uh, I, my neighbors were freaking out. There was uh, text messages going around in, in the neighborhood that, you know, um, everybody needed to take cover. Uh, I received multiple emergency broadcast system alerts on my phone. Oh, geez. Um, and, and the instruction was go to a lower level or to a basement. Of course, there are no basements in Florida. Um, and stay away from windows. Yep. And I live in a house that is almost entirely windows. <laughs> the only place in my house that did not have a window was the coat closet under my stairs. And I sat there with my dog eating pretzels. Uh, and waited out, you know, the raging storm outside. And I'm here to see you again, and I'm so happy to see you. Well, friend. you know what? Now I'm doubly happy to see you. Um, I mm -hmm. So I grew up in Florida, and um, the one thing that's always terrified me is tornadoes. And now I live in an area, Chicago, we do get tornadoes. The, out of any natural disaster, it's the most terrifying to me because you just can't, you can't predict them. Hurricanes you know about, and they're terrible, but you know about them. Tornadoes come out of, out of nowhere. So I'm very happy that you and, and the pup are safe and uh, very yeah. happy to see you. Fred, what about well, what you? The weather? Fred, yeah. yeah. What's the weather like in San Diego? Well, uh, first I want to point out we have a problem with earthquakes as well. Uh, that are not those are, those that are predictable. Those are but uh, but sure. I've been here since 96 after coming from South Florida. And uh, I'm in San Diego. It's 70 degrees. We've got some wind. Uh, I don't see any any tornadoes in sight, though. I think, <laughs> I think we're going to be safe. Lucky man. Well, that was that was scary. I got I to gotta be honest. I'm usually, I don't take these things terribly seriously, usually. And uh, I looked up at the sky, and it was green. Yeah, that's never Which good. Is a, an indicator. Yeah. yeah. Do you know and that, that freaked me out? Do you know that there has to be, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, there has to be 19 meteorological um, uh, boxes that need to be checked in order for a tornado to form and touch ground, like nine, like barometric pressure and wind speed and humidity and and you know all those things. They have to align in order for a tornado to actually form. Well. Things are getting worse. And New York Times actually had an article this weekend, and it will pivot to business. Of course. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. That this this was uh, the warmest year by an order of magnitude uh, uh, recorded, uh, and that um, in the, clearly we're seeing the impact of you know uh, the water of the ocean, uh, temperature of the water of the ocean is rising, and I don't know very much about it, um, but hopefully uh, 
innovation and people, uh, really when I say people, I mean governments coming together in, in, in material way, uh, will lead us down a better path. It's pretty scary right now. Oh, it is. And you know what? Maybe, maybe one of the budding and current entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast right now are solving these issues for us for the future. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah. You know what? It's true. There, there's, there's a lot of innovation. Um, great article a, a few months back about the whitest white paint ever created. It was uh, in a laboratory, I believe at Purdue university. Uh, and it would substantially reduce, um, heat. Um, I forget the details, but look it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? We'll try to put in the show notes. Cause that was kind of interesting. Yeah, very But cool. hey, let's tell, let's tell our let's tell our audience about our guest. We've got an amazing amazing oh, amazing guest today. So, so very cool. It is my honor, of course, uh to to introduce everyone to Mr. Fred Carey. And Fred is a powerhouse entrepreneur who has founded over 10 companies worth in the billions of dollars. In the cutthroat world of entrepreneurship and sales, few have carved a path quite like Fred Carey. Fred's journey from his first startup, Boxlot, which was an early competitor to eBay but failed to take off, to a maestro of one successful startup after another, all the way to his current role as CEO of IdeaPros, a company that helps entrepreneurs turn their ideas into profitable ventures. Fred's story is a masterclass in and about vision and grit. Fred's a big deal, and don't just take my word for it, his weekly show of entrepreneurs have drawn over 8 million viewers and he has over half a million followers on Instagram. And he doesn't even dance. This top 1% of- That we know of. <laughs> true, actually. This top 1% business professional has a personal brand that's both a call to action and a challenge. And before I tell you what it is, you may want to go, you know, cover the ears of the kids, cover the ears of your pets. It's fuck average, be legendary. And for the record, the first word is spelled with an asterisk, so it looks better in print than spoken out loud. It's one of my favorite words. So I think it sounds better personally, I, but I, I love that word. So the uh, eyes of the beholder. I, I'm, <laughs> exactly. So Fred, with a hearty welcome to the Braving Business Podcast, we're ready to unpack the unorthodox, the unconventional, and the outright, outright legendary. Thank you so much for joining us. I, uh, I really, I know I'm going to enjoy this uh, a lot. And, uh, and, and by the way, I have a registered trademark on, on like average be legendary. And I put the asterisk, not on the U I put it where the C is. So it still looks like fuck, even with the asterisk. That's right. I know. I noticed he had another, uh, trademark on something else. I, I forget what it was. And I think it's one of our questions today. There was a trademark on a, on a sentence. And I was like, wow, that's brilliant. Um, Fred, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy and in demand. Um, I'd love to start, as we do often, by uh, asking you to tell us where things started for you. Uh, it'd be great if you could give your backstory. Um, and if you don't mind, take us right up to Boxlot, because we have specific questions about that venture. Okay, I won't do the three-hour show version uh, of that. Um, I, I became an entrepreneur because I, not because I uh, felt I could be brilliant, but because I felt that I didn't fit. Um, I became an entrepreneur because I didn't think anybody would have me and give me the the uh, the credit that I, I thought I could uh, bring to any outside organization. So uh, really by by force rather than anything else, I started my first company at 24, uh, started another one at 26 after the first one was acquired. 
and then became an attorney accidentally, uh, truly, uh, for about 10 years before I, I got into starting starting Boxlot. But uh, that was in 1998, and I had been living in South Florida, in, uh, in uh, Fort Lauderdale. And when I wanted to get back into that entrepreneurship world, I just felt that Southern California was the place for me to to start start my entrepreneurial career over again. That's that's great. I uh, of course San Diego, not a bad place to set your roots. No. Um, so let's talk about Boxlot then. So from from what I understand, it's uh, was an early competitor to eBay. Um, and before we talk about how you you reinvented Boxlot into something else and sell it for you know just a, a paltry $125 million, the business nearly failed. And so let's, let's kind of hang out there, talk about the near, near failure. What was the vision behind Boxlot initially? And uh, how were you able to recognize fairly early on that you needed to pivot and really pivot hard? Yeah. And um, pivoting and pivoting hard, by the way, if you're not prepared to do that with any business that you, you should not be an entrepreneur uh, because that's what's going to be required every time we're inventing things that don't exist. How the hell are we going to get it right the first time every time? It, so it doesn't it doesn't work that way. But with Boxlot, uh, eBay was just really starting to come out, getting popular. And I saw that well, I felt that there was room for for another competitor in that field, which turns out there wasn't. Um, but uh, that's very unusual. Usually there is Uber, Lyft, for one little example. And um, and I thought, we're going to do it, but we're going to do it better. We're going to have better products. We're going to have better things. We're going to have better technology. And uh, we're going to appeal to people who normally would go to an auction-type environment. And the reason that um, that eBay really took off and we didn't is because those type of people weren't on the internet in uh, 1998, 1999. <laughs> they were they were going to real auction houses and doing their their work there, you know. And so the uh, the ten dollar, fifteen dollar, twenty dollar item uh, that was what was on eBay it is really what propelled them with a whole new audience buying crap really uh, at discount prices. And, and we couldn't compete with that. So at some point you realize, and it was pretty early on, cause I believe the entire, I, I believe that I read that you sold a business for 125 million after 18 months. Uh, is that 18 months from founding or 18 months from pivoting? No, that's 18 months from, from pivoting, um, from pivoting. Gotcha. But, we had been doing it for about a year before that. Gotcha. So, so let's talk about that. You, you, you've wow. said that that experience, that the 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 turning around of Boxlot into a, into a, a completely different enterprise, turned around and reshaped your philosophy that helped you then form ultimately form years later Ideas Pro. Um, we're going to get into what Ideas Pro does, uh, which I think is fascinating. But can you first share with our audience what was what did you learn? What was it that you took away from this experience? Yeah, and by the way, it's idea pros. Um, but what I you have to learn when uh, when things aren't working. You know, as founders, we go way too long doing something. It doesn't mean that where you are and what you're trying to achieve is not going to work. It's just what you're trying to do in that space 
is not going to work and you have to try to find something else. That's why the word pivot is used so often uh, when you're talking about entrepreneurship and, and when you're launching new companies. So for us, we just saw that we, you know, we just couldn't do it, but we also saw that everybody in the world was trying to get into that space. And so you kind of reflect sometimes and, and figure out what's the real problem here. What, what, what's the, the underlying component of everything that's going on in this auction space. And, and, and can we do something to make it better? And as it turned out, the technology wasn't there. You know, it was really hard. You'd go, you'd place a bid, then you have to come back a half an hour later, see if somebody outbid you, then you couldn't do incremental bidding. And so the infrastructure to support this burgeoning sector uh, of the economy was not there. And so I said, let's build the infrastructure. And we switched from trying to sell trinkets, uh, including a $2 million stamp, by the way. Uh, We went to looking at the infrastructure and looking at what was really needed. And so we turned into a technology company. We started doing incremental bidding. We, We created bid bid or buy. We created reverse bidding. We um, literally the, the entire ecosystem of, of what all the auction platforms became dependent on were things that we created. And that's why we, you know, we quickly became uh, a company that, that people wanted or company, other companies wanted to do something with uh, because we were building the infrastructure to make, make it better regardless of who was going to win. I love that. I love that. It's, it's like you're, you were making not so much doubling down, but you, you, you definitely pivoted, but you, you also made yourself invaluable in that space. It sounds like you took the learnings that you had from the, from this uh, auction universe and kind of took a step back and said, okay, well, we, we can't compete head to head. So let's really try to figure out how to make this whole thing better. And, and that paid off for you. Yeah, um, you know, our horse was not going to win the race, so why not build the racetrack? <laughs> There's a t-shirt right t-shirt. there. T-shirt. Yep, yeah. yep, 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 t-shirt, t-shirt. So let's let's get into Idea Pros, um, which is a company that creates world-class entrepreneurs and helps them uh, turn their ideas into profitable ventures and described as the world's first super venture partner, TM. Uh, what, what exactly there it is? That's the other yeah, one. That, that's the other one. <laughs> I knew there was another. <laughs> what exactly does super venture partner mean? And, uh, how does what you do and how you do it differentiate from other traditional venture capitalists? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to create something that was the biggest thing that I had done. Uh, and I've created, 10 different companies, you know, two of them went public, two others got acquired by public companies. And uh, we have a couple of private ones that are doing close to a billion dollars a year in, in revenue. And I wanted to make something bigger. And so I looked for the place where there was a big market that was growing rapidly. There was a big demand for, and it wasn't being served well. And that's entrepreneurship. The reason that it wasn't being served well is all those other companies like the venture capital companies and even angels and well, private equity, um, they're serving 5% of that market. Uh, 
They're serving the people that have gone to elite schools that have 60% of whom have graduate degrees from those schools. The professor can call up a venture capitalist and get a paper napkin idea, $10 million um, investment. And, and the rest, the real entrepreneurs that make up the backbone of America are 30 to 55 years old. They're business people. They're advancing their career. They're doing really well. They have an infrastructure around them, but they hate their lives. And, and they want to jump off onto their own. They're, they're well-funded because they save their money, but they don't know what it is they should be doing. And so I started Idea Pros to serve the great majority of people. And when I say super venture partner, it's because from the idea stage, we work with the partner side by side and do everything uh, from idea validation to market research to strategy to app development, if it's an app, the engineering, if it's a physical product, the, the, the whole persona, naming, branding, positioning, uh, launching, getting access to capital. So we're there as the, literally their, their co-founder, a very experienced co-founder uh, in an environment where entrepreneurs before us really had you know, it's like if you needed brain surgery, uh, they go online and they could find brain surgery equipment. Uh, that That's what exists for entrepreneurs. And, and, and we thought we shouldn't be giving them stuff. We should be giving them knowledge, companionship, co-founder status, build better things, create better entrepreneurs and end up with hopefully a better country at some point. I love this. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to get into the better country. So, so put a pin in that. We'll come back to it later on. But let let's you know, there's there's something I I uh, found online that I I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Idea Pros has put out there, and I uh, and I quote that you've turned the VC model on its head, and specifically, you say other VCs lose money on ninety percent of their deals. Idea Pros make money on virtually every deal we do, while preserving the same long term passive income where unicorns are born, close quote. And obviously that sounds like uh, you know, what anyone would aspire for. Um, what is it that you're doing differently? I mean, what it, why is it not something that's being more widely uh, done by other VCs? Um, what we do is something that other VCs don't want to do, don't know how to do, and don't even think that there's a market for. Uh, the reason we're upside down is the people that come to us pay us. It's not like I'm going to give, give you a million dollars and you're going to go burn it because you've never done this before. And I'm going to bet on 10 different companies or 100 companies and 90 of them are going to fail. People pay us. So I looked at my history and the, the things that I did best are the deals that I had skin in the game. And so when people come to us, they, they come at the raw idea stage and uh, I basically tell them I'm going to bet on you if you bet on us and you help us create everything we're going to do because we're going to do about 500000 to a $1 million worth of things. You need to have some skin in the game. And typically, people will pay us around $100,000 uh, up front to work with us as, as the co-founder. And they'll give us a percentage of the company that we formed together. But this ends up saving them 75% of what it was going to cost for them to do it. And also it's going to enable them to work with people who've been there and done this before and, and understand 
you know, how to find that hole in the marketplace where you can fit in there and compete well against much bigger organizations because you found a hole that's not being addressed well. And so that's why we're different. We make money on all those deals, but now we have like 400 de uh, deals that we own 30% of. Now we have that same passive long-term income that a venture capitalist will make, uh, but we help nurture those companies and grow them from a seedling. And so we believe we're going to have a much higher success rate than the 10% success rate that average venture capital firms have. And is that, is that the track record that you've, uh, I mean, I think you've been at it six or seven years. Is, is that how it's panning out? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've, we've had a, a couple of big, you know, 10 times, 20 times exits already way early. Uh, I wasn't anticipating any for another two or three years, but we've had a couple already. We have, Several of our companies gone out and raised millions and millions of dollars and uh, and doing well and and growing and we have new ones launching uh, every week. In fact, I'm I'm going next week. Four of our companies are are getting ready for a next level of funding, and we're actually going and speaking to about a hundred venture capital firms to that want to look at our deals. Wow, wow! Is this like any industry? Any any you know? Uh, different type of whether it's manufacturing or it's or it's service or or whatever. Um, pretty much, but I, I would say that kind of the next generation, uh, hugely costly, very complicated things that some of the biggest venture capital firms might tackle, we wouldn't do. Um, we're, we're not going to do. Uh, we're not going to take an idea that's going to need a hundred million dollars to to get it to fruition. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll, we'll do a lot of apps. We we'll do a lot of consumer goods, beauty, health, clothing, um, entertainment, but things that you can go live with with a million dollars or less. Okay. But they're all over the place. Very cool. Very very cool. So when you're looking at at entrepreneurship in general, like how much in your in your personal belief how much is of success in business is about actual preparation versus good fortune like do you believe that luck is a definable factor or do people just make their own luck you know there was um there there was a, an analysis done by somebody a couple of years ago that looking at really really well funded companies uh and uh, trying to figure out why some of them just completely well, we said fuck, so I could say shit the bed, um, and and others, <laughs> others uh, just did really well, and it really became not a question of luck, not even a question of the hard work involved, because they were all working really hard. It really became a question of timing, uh, and timing seems to be the biggest factor. You know, if you look at companies like Airbnb, nobody would invest in them, nobody believed in the model. It's the average venture capitalist kicked them out the door saying, wait a minute, you are going to expect people to allow strangers to stay in their homes, you know, get the hell out of my office. But the timing was right because people needed side hustles. You know, the economy wasn't good. People needed extra ways to make more money. And, and the perfect timing of that um, idea is something that really made it work. And so that's the biggest thing you need. So luck only in the sense of timing. And if you're doing it right, 
that even that part of it's not lucky. It's because you've been motivated to do this because you're seeing a need and uh, and you're going forward with that need. The companies that are really lucky are um, few and, and far between. Instagram, you know, three years into their existence, no revenue model, 13 employees uh, got acquired for $100 billion. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of insane. Uh, and But they did so because of what they had going forward uh, and what they were going to be and, and the fact that they had 100 million uh, users. So that's the rare exception, though, to the rule. Well, let's let's dig into that, and I'm going to push you a little bit on it because I think luck. Uh, I I get your point that luck uh, with timing uh, is critical, but that isn't the only luck. And uh, in my uh, opinion, I think that you also need to have, and it's a combination of luck. We're actually going to get into some of that in a little bit when we talk about your thoughts on what investors get wrong when they talk to uh, what entrepreneurs get wrong rather when they talk to investors, but. There is an element uh, of having people and or organizations, whether they're investors, strategic partners, in some cases, potential employees, see in you and lean into you um, in a way that, if you will, manifest luck, right? So if you're able to get a key strategic partner to lean into what it is that you're doing, then of course, if the market's not, if the timing is not right, then it doesn't matter. But if you're, if you happen to have a good idea at the right time, and you get lucky in the sense that you get the right partner backing you, that is uh, a a greater predictor of success than that you yourself are brilliant and have the best idea. Yeah. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. But first, I want to, uh, I do want to correct myself. I said a hundred billion. It was a billion. They had a hundred million um, uh, subscribers uh, on Instagram. So I just want to make sure. Yeah, not everybody thought I was an idiot. Um, the <laughs> even that then, highly. yeah, no one's even, thinking you're an idiot. No one. <laughs> well, thank you. Even yeah. in in that type of case. Um, really hard work is what's going to take to make those things happen. If you have this opportune moment with some big, huge gorilla wants to work with you for one reason or another, you're going to have to go through flaming hoops to make that happen. There's no big company that just overnight will work with you. There are many, many layers of red tape, many different things that you need to do and know. You have to be really, really sharp in in every element of, of your company because people are going to question you. And at the end, after you've gone through all those layers, there's um, the, the big monster, which is the CEO or the chairman of the board of that big company who's going to come in and say, well, what's this all about? And who's this little asshole? Uh, and and you got to start all over again and they can crush you in about a half a second. And so when even when you get opportunities like that, it's just nobody's going to just wake up in the morning and send you a check. You got to work your ass off and you're going to it, it, it takes resilience. I think uh, people ask me, what's the word uh, for entrepreneurs that every entrepreneur should know? And um, uh, I say perseverance because that's that's what it takes. It's, if you don't have perseverance, even with those lucky breaks you get, if you don't have perseverance to, to wade your way through all the crap you're going to be facing, you're never going to make it. 
Well, I don't know if you know this, but both the words perseverance and resilience are in the subtitle of our podcast name. So no way. Business is, yeah. is about that. Yeah. I mean, our, our entire podcast is about those two things. Yeah. Because well, I, I could good. not agree with you more from my own personal experience. PJ's as well. We've had highs. We've had lows. We've had businesses that did extremely well. I've sold multiple businesses. I've also had horrible, horrible defeats. And uh, you need to be able to lift yourself up, which isn't uh, as easy as it sounds. Um, but if you're able to do that, you can be an entrepreneur. If you're someone that upon defeat, tucks tail, go work for someone else. Uh, it's just not, you, you, you will not have success upon success upon success as an entrepreneur. You will suffer defeat and you need to be able to recover from that. And obviously you had that experience, you, you did. And as did practically every guest I think that we've had so far that came from the business world, including frankly, we had, we've had politicians, we've had uh, the former uh, Inspector General of the United States Army. They've all really shared that same experience. They had setbacks. And they recovered. Yeah. You know what, though? I don't think we've had someone on that started a company and then a year later pivoted and then two years later sold it for $125 million. <laughs> I don't know. Eddie, Eddie Wilson may have. We've done sold may 90 have. companies. So he, he may have. Yes. <laughs> out, out of that right. huge number. Yeah, possibly. But I mean, Fred, you're, you're the, the, I'm just fascinated and um inspired by the fact that you were able to start something and grind just like you're saying like the keep the perfect perseverance going you got you know you're, you're going full throttle on on what you believe is your is your future and yet you still had the wherewithal to sit there and, and have the humility and have the good common sense to say you know what i'm not gonna i, I don't see me winning this race with, like you said, with the horse you had. So why don't we just change the game and make it more in our favor and create something that's better and that people actually need uh, to depend in this space. And I, I don't know, I would clap, but it sounds weird on a podcast. So I, I applaud you. We, we need clap sounds, but you know what? It actually leads perfectly into the next question, which is about failing fast, right? So, so I know it's a motto that, that you live by and I've heard you speak about it. Um, so actually I thought we would start with, with, defining it because you know you hear that term fail fast fail fast and I, I don't know that it's super clear what it even means to fail fast i mean it, it, on some level it can feel like a contradiction to perseverance i mean doesn't perseverance mean you don't fail fast you're res, you're resilient so like how fast <laughs> how fast is failing fast and how do you make sure that you're not uh quitting too soon yeah you know failing fast is probably a crappy term um, because it, it kind of means the opposite of that. The, figure out when you need to pivot, right? When like failing fast was the example of, of box lot. Uh, we went down a road, found it wasn't it wasn't right, and we went down another road. Or it can be, you know, get your app out there if you're building an app. Get it out there, even when it's not pretty, because your audience ultimately is going to tell you what you should be building. And if you're waiting and you're building all these different components and features that people are, end up going to not want, you're not going to have the bandwidth left to build what they really do want. So when we say fail fast, it means get your concept, get your idea, get it out there in front of the people that you think want it, and then forget all the things that aren't working, move past those and move into the things that do work. The, uh, the CEO of uh, LinkedIn, uh, or the original CEO of LinkedIn, 
said famously, uh, if you're not embarrassed by version one of your product, you've waited way too long. And and that's kind of the fail fast mantra. You know, get it out there, get it in front of people, experiment, see what's going on. Don't sit spending the next five years in a laboratory uh, and just having that opportunity pass you by. You know, Fred, it's a famous saying, and and I I've I've read his book. I I think he, I think it's wise. I get the point. Uh, but but. Is it? I mean, there's a fine line, right? I mean, not on two levels. On the one hand, if you really truly have something unique and you put it out there too soon, um, that potentially opens the door to other people to see what you're doing. I, I'm not a big believer that you should be, you know, fearful as hell that the big guys are looking because they're not. Uh, so that is a lesser risk, in my opinion. The bigger risk is that you turn off consumers, that the, the initial experience is so off the mark and not consistent where you want to go that the 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 uh perspective pers- the uh, perspective people have is that you're nowhere near uh adding value so how do you you know what's 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 the what's the fine balance because there has to be one right yeah you know that's the problem with one sentence quotes um uh, is that uh you you can pick them apart and and look at it in many different ways i i think that uh that what he meant uh, was the fact that find the core value in what you're delivering. You have to have that. You know, you're not going to, you should not launch before you figure out what it is that you have and have that kind of product market fit that, that everybody talks about. You need to understand what that core value is and don't build these 47 other features around it that people may never want. Find that core value, the value proposition that you're leading with, and get it out there in the marketplace so that you can start engaging your customers and figure figure out what really they need to have on top of that. But you're right. I mean, never never just throw something out there that just is not well thought out and doesn't really have a place in the in the market because you will get an avalanche of one star reviews and you may not be able to recover from it. Wow. Yeah. Um, just when I hear the words fail fast, I think of the book of my life and how that is the chapter of all of my high school romances was feeling fast. Um, <laughs> so could it is, it is uh, such an important thing to keep in mind though. And for those who are, who are out there listening now, who are contemplating a pivot, uh, what do you think, or what would you suggest that they look for as an indicator for turn for for the time to fail fast to to cut bait. Um, I, I, there there is no, no black and white enough. answer yeah. to that. Uh, but but I, I would tell you you can feel it. Uh, you can you can have that that uh, momentum. You can be buried one way or another. In fact, with Idea Pros, uh, it happened to me last year. I mean, we literally, and I told you that the nut was $100,000 to work with us. Uh, uh, if you didn't have it, you were, quote unquote, dead to me. Uh, and and we had 100,000 people put in applications saying that they were going to give us $100,000. That's $10 billion of demand. We could only handle 400 companies out of out of all that demand. And uh, and with that, we were getting buried. There's so much heavy lifting. There's so many things to do. At the beginning of last year, despite the fact that we'd made 25 million bucks, I stopped taking new partners 
because I knew it was not going to be sustainable. I took a million dollars out of my pocket and threw it into the company to, to sustain us while we figured out what we needed to do to reset. And, and we have reset now. And now if you go to ideapros.com, the very first thing you're going to see is free membership. So we take everybody, you know, people that don't have any money and want to learn about entrepreneurship. They get valuable content every single week. And we have a proper sales funnel that works from free to a few hundred dollars to a few thousand to, to you know, the kind of the elite partnership co-founder model that, that was our only bread and butter before. So you can feel it coming. You're either you can't keep up with the demand or there's no demand. And one of those two things are happening that that causes you to have to kind of really pivot hard on, on what you're doing. You'll feel the pressure. I, you know, I think it's uh, it's 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 interesting. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I also can recall uh, an experience where I was CEO, one of my companies. I had I had investors, Wall Street investors who really resisted the pivot. They they fell in love with the original thesis of the business. I, as CEO, felt in my bones that we had to pivot. Uh, and, uh, I, and I was not able to do it. Uh, and so, you know, one, one factor when you're thinking about taking money, and we're about to pivot to investors, uh, is, is you really need to be thinking about more than, uh, is this party capable of writing a check? But also, is this party... Uh, a party that has the right mindset about the realities of entrepreneurship uh, and and able to recognize that sometimes falling in love with your thesis, uh, when the evidence begins to tell you that you're not right or not right anymore, um, is going to be the end of you. Uh, so let, let's pivot to talking about investors. Um, I, I, I've seen other interviews where you've talked about the fact that entrepreneurs, many entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs, don't impress investors and don't raise funds because they focus on the wrong thing or things in their pitch, what you call their quote unquote amazingness, instead of what you think they should focus on. I'd love for you to share with our audience what you think entrepreneurs do wrong when it comes to pitching to investors and what you think they should talk about and why. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I have a, a master class. Uh, part of that, all the free stuff that we do now, it's, it's called Pitchcraft. Uh, and, and I talk about that. As a founder, you kind of, you really want to get this amazing story out. Nobody's ever done this before. And I woke up, this is a brilliant idea. We've been working on it for the last year. We don't have any competitors. We're going to revolutionize the whole world. And 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 we're going to be the next this or that or Amazon or, or Uber, or whatever the next thing is that you want to be. That scares the shit out of investors. The, the very first thing they start thinking about is like, well, how many times have you changed the world before? Uh, and and uh, I'm not here to, to, to be part of this revolution. For an investor, an investor, they want to see evolution. Drop the R. Uh, they they want to know that, hey, look, we're not smarter than anybody else. But here's what we found out. There's three companies in this space. They all became billion-dollar companies within two or three years. And they did so by following the steps that we're about to take. But what happened here is there's one key thing that they haven't provided any of their customers. And there's this huge demand with all of these customers. There's all these one-star reviews that they're not getting this one thing. And we created this one thing that all these customers want. That's an evolution because you created something better in an industry that's growing and a demand that's pent up. You've, you've shown this kind of 
difference between the supply and the demand. And that's what investors want. There's this big difference. There's a proven market. There's a hole in that marketplace. There's customers that are there wanting this solution. And we don't give a shit if you're you're smarter than anybody else. You guys made that solution happen. And that's what makes investors want to invest. And and the other thing is every every slide should have a number because an investor is not buying your dream. They're buying a financial instrument. You know, what is this instrument? What am I paying for it? Why am I paying this month this much for it? When am I going to be able to exit? How much am I going to get? And then finally, why are you guys the ones that are going to make it all happen? That's all they care about. And if you stray from that and and waste your time on things that are not important, um, you're never going to get capital. Let me ask you a follow up question. I, it's not. Uh... It's 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 an it's an adjacent question to that. One other variable that uh, I've heard about from other I invest in in startups uh, and I've also and I'm also a startup entrepreneur and so I've I've been on both sides of the table. Mm-hmm. And I am often turned off when an entrepreneur comes to me, and even in the case of an entrepreneur that is in fact talking about building a better mousetrap on top of something that exists, which I wholeheartedly agree that those are the best opportunities. Sure, you can create a new marketplace. You can be Uber, but good luck with that. There, there's, there's a reason there are only a few of those guys. Yeah. What turns me off is when someone comes to me, they've, they've not, they don't have a business model yet, or they've not begun to operate, and they're trying to raise $10 million. Uh, they've proven nothing to no one, uh, and they're trying to do that. What, what's your perspective on what is the right, what is the sweet spot when you're out there? Maybe your pre-revenue or very early revenue. What's the sweet spot of what, you know, what, what looks and feels like you have, uh, you know, your feet planted firmly on the ground. Yeah, um, that sweet spot is whatever you can get, uh, and you know, if you don't start, you're not you're not going to get anywhere. The the back to Airbnb, uh, those guys were out trying to raise one and a half million dollars. At uh, no, they're trying to raise one hundred and fifty thousand dollars at a one point five million dollar. Uh, valuation. And they couldn't even get that money. And 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 look what they became. They only became that because they went out and found whatever it is they needed to do to get that money. You know, that initial valuation, the first investors in Amazon uh, invested a, to something like a 500,000 valuation. You can't be all full of yourself. You have to understand you're never going to get to step two unless you get the capital to leave step one. And so the companies that are pre-revenue and that have not done that before, uh, they're, they're, they need to be modest and, and they should be lucky that anybody's willing to bet on them. Look, if, if Elon Musk walked into the room and, and wanted money, he's going to get a much higher valuation. But if you've not done this before, you're lucky that some people are going to bet on you. And by the way, if you take investors like you that also are business owners, CEOs that have had exits on their own, then there's a value there that's going to help you get to that next level that's well beyond the capital that you're going to get from an investor. You know, choose wisely, uh, be modest in your valuation, and go kick ass. I next time I'm on Shark Tank, I'm bringing you with Fred. <laughs> Did you know PJ? PJ was on Shark Tank, friend. Really? Was. I was. Yeah, one, of our, was. one of our guys, uh, I, I think he got a million dollars from them. And another one got kicked off the stage. Uh, but uh, 
what did you do? Did you did did they boot you off? You were asking for fifty million. Oh yeah, yeah, I got booted <laughs> off. I actually wasn't asking for much, um, but you know, listening to you talk about you know like what's important to the people that you're pitching to, I didn't do that. Right, I came in with I know exactly what needs to be done with this company. I've done it before. It's been very successful. I'm just trying to relaunch it. I got all the answers, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't correlate to what they're looking for. And, uh, I was, you know, as, as prepared as I thought I was, I wasn't prepared to talk to the points that you are talking about, which is what's most salient for them and not for me. And that is, that's a billion percent on me. And that's, You've just helped me out more than a lot of therapy bills. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> hey, hey, look, there's one other element in those investors, right? And that's ego. Um, yeah. They had the money in their bank account because they did some shit right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they don't want to hear that you have all the answers and they don't have any because they don't, they're not doing this just to make some extra money. They're doing it because it's fun, exciting. They want to help you grow. They want to be part of it, especially, you know, those pre-seed investors uh, other than mom and dad. Uh, they they have a lot to offer. And, and if you don't consider the ego element of it as well, then then you're lost. Yeah, I was I was so sure that they were going to invest that I never thought about a no. I was so, I was so, because, you know, I, I had created a company I was doing three and a half million in sales. I was doing that part-time with no overhead at a 77% profit margin. And so I'm like, who wouldn't want to invest in this? Right. Yeah. Is it too late? Can I invest now? (laughs) We can talk after this. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was nuts. So next time I'm bringing you with it. Just, just, I love the fact that you, you, I keep saying, I th- keep thinking of you like just taking a step back, but I love how you keep like this little bit of a distance when you're looking at everything because um, that cooler heads will prevail, prevail mindset, I think is so key. And um, uh, like I said, next time I'm on, I'm bringing you with me. So let's, right. let's build on, on what we just talked about in regards to, um, you know, the whole pitching thing and everything. What, when, when entrepreneurs, obviously we get things right and we also get things wrong to investors besides what you, what you shared, what do you think are like two or three things that you would look for as an investor in a new venture where you're like, you know what, that sounds like a winner to me. Um, I'm not sure this answers the, the question directly, but it, it definitely the first thing I need to consider. Uh, and it's something that I would tell every one of uh, your listeners that if you're going to be the CEO of a company in today's world, you need to be a financial CEO. You need to know all your numbers, as painful as that is and as boring as accounting is, you need to know your numbers. You need to know where you are, where you want to go, how you're going to get there, what happens if things aren't working out well. You really need to know that. And and if you have somebody that you're talking to that by the time they get to slide three and you ask them, uh, well, what about if you can't get this partnership with company X and they're sitting there like looking at you, not knowing how to answer, then you're not going to invest in them because at the end, the thing that, that people invest in at the very end, you're almost your last slides is you. 
And, and, and if you can't pull it off intellectually, emotionally, with, with the experience that you need to show them, the, the fortitude, the grit you need to show them, I'm not going to I'm not going to do it. And, you know, there, there, there are the those potential investors that are out there that are going to say to you, you know what, this is really great. And, and they may have said that to you, PJ, that, that this is really great, but, you know, go out and do these three things and, and, and then come back and talk to me in six months and, and we'll see. And if you're not, if you don't have the fortitude to basically say, I've been working this day and night for the last six months, we know exactly where we are. We know exactly what we have to do. And those are our great ideas. And we can, in our next round, maybe consider them. But right now, this is what we need this is the valuation. This is what we're doing with it. And are you in or are you out? If you don't have that kind of strength, if you're letting them push you around, um, I, I wouldn't invest in you. Um, so that's the one thing. The other thing is, again, an understanding of of the fact that that I don't want to pick on your PJ, but <laughs> that, that, you know, if you think you know all the answers, uh, which is almost the opposite of what I just said, uh, that that concerns me as well. If, sure. if you can't, if you show that you, you're like rock solid in where you are and you know all the elements of it and you don't really need anybody else's uh, help or support, you're kind of just there to give them a favor, um, that's something that's concerning to me as well. Those are, those are probably the top two things, um, not knowing enough or knowing too much. Uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. The story of my life. It's so, so well, it's so interesting. I actually, I do, I do as as you were speaking of the second, and you called it out yourself. It seems a contradiction to the first, which is not in of itself uh, disqualifying. As we said before, uh, failing, uh, you know, failing fast on some levels can seem like a contradiction to perseverance, but it's not. It's 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 all in the how, uh, and ultimately. As you talk to investors, come in there with humility but confidence. And I, again, words that may seem like they're not, they, they are difficult to put together. And that is true, which is why the vast majority of people who pitch don't get funded because they are they find it very difficult to, to, to land that sweet spot. So humble but confident. And the second thing is be prepared to listen. Be prepared to listen. Um, you're talking oftentimes to people that have accomplished huge things in their careers. They have seen things succeed. They have seen things fail and whatever, whether or not you get money out of them, the insights they share with you are worth a substantial amount of money. So take the opportunity not to just tell them everything you know and try to stop them from speaking and tell them why they're wrong. Listen, listen very well. You can take away their uh, their feedback, reflect on it later, and you can come to your own conclusions about whether it was right or wrong. But at the moment that it's occurring, first of all, it's awfully discourteous to not let them say whatever it is they need to say. Second, you're missing an opportunity. Yep. So it's, some, yeah. some advice. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's very well said. Um, when I train our folks to, to do pitches, the very first thing, uh, even before the problem statement, is kind of the the winter is coming. 
Uh, you know, the Game of Thrones, everybody was saying that for three seasons. Nobody knew what the hell it meant. Uh, but uh, there's a seismic shift in the world. Uh, and and that's where you start getting the buy-in. That's where you start trying to pull things in. But raising money and building companies is all about storytelling. If you can't tell a good story, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna get there. And and so with my companies, I always have them start with you know the big idea. Winter is coming. There's a shift in the world for Airbnb. It would be that people need need money like they never needed before. There's all these opportunities with with these homes and and and, and free space. And if you can't get past that. Don't waste the investor's time. Don't waste your own time getting into the problem and the solution. You know, get the buy-in right from the very beginning. And uh, and that's what I do. I mean, we're out raising capital right now. And 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 I start with with the fact that uh, when, when, when I was a kid, uh, when you thought about rich people, you, you thought about the the doctors, the lawyers that your parents wanted you to become, the, the business owner down the street, movie stars, the athletes, that's what you thought about. But now you think about entrepreneurs. And it's all about entrepreneurs. The infrastructure is not there. There's this massive shift in the world where everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Even people that are out making $750,000 a year in corporate America want to leave and want to do something for themselves. And there's no support system to really help them out. And that's the big story. That's the big idea. That's the winter is coming statement. If some guy says to you, ah, that's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> don't waste your time. Don't waste their time. Just, you know, go off. And uh, and and the only way that you're going to make it through your slides is exactly what you said. Listen, because you're going to you need to be prepared to say different things based upon what you're hearing. And if you're not hearing, you're going to go through, oh, wow, I made it through my 12 slides. Great. Uh, and we'll see if they really love us or not. But if you listen and engage and tell a story that people want to hear, then you have a real opportunity to pivot inside your own uh, your own presentation to get to where they want you to get. For sure. And I would add to that that sometimes you'll walk away, you'll reflect, and you'll have an insight. And if that insight is rooted in some valuable bit of information or advice that you were given, again, courtesy alone uh, means it's a very good idea to reach out to them and let them know the insight, regardless of whether they fund you or not. Yeah. Uh, it says something about your your approach to life and business that you both took the advice, contemplated it, came away with a takeaway, and had the courtesy uh, to reach out. Yeah. Let's uh, let let's end with uh, a little brevity. Um, you know, you have become a social media sensation. Um, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. I'm a follower on Instagram. Um, yeah. how does it feel to be, you know, sort of a celebrity? And uh, and how do you recommend entrepreneurs use social media? Um, well, uh, I, I, I can't dance. I one of the things you were talking about <laughs> in the very beginning, so you were spot on. I, I, I do the, the white man shuffle. Uh, so I'm not very good at that. Um, I feel humbled, uh, actually, that 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 people are listening to me. And one of the key elements, when I was saying in, in the very beginning about building a, a better America, one of the key elements and what I try to teach, not only on social media, but with all the people that come in as our partners, is how to be purpose driven. You know, how 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 to think about always doing the right thing. And uh, Every day I do one post and it's me. I don't, nobody edits, edits it. I don't have a big team around me. I get my 
webcam and I will say something and then I'll put some music on it and some captions and, and spit it out there. And I think that um, there's good information that people need and there's honest information that people don't need to hear about the fact that if you give them, you know, you give me $500 and I'll make you a billionaire. They don't need to hear that shit. Now, now you, you need to, to really have some genuine content. How do I be better? Uh, how can I be better at home so I can be a better leader and have a better company? Uh, how, do, how do I become a better human being? And so for me, I have real gratitude that that more and more people are listening to to that message. So uh, that part of it, uh, I think it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm I'm not getting uh, uh, attacked in malls yet, but I I do get uh, pornographic materials from from women all the time for some stupid reason. Uh, Is that right? I, I can understand why women don't like dick pics um <laughs> it's uh it's uh it's it's troubling at, at times if, if we uh, had a bingo card on what would not come up in today's interview with we legendary fred carey yes. that would have not that you would have won with that yeah yeah no, dick, well, dick well, pics well, fortunately i do have staff that looks at those things and uh, uh and, and most of the times uh, they've been filtered before the question is do you yeah. get dick pics well don't answer that don't answer yeah, that. yeah yeah no yeah. no I, I, pj I, um yeah I, I, i'll let you i'll give you the go ahead yeah <laughs> i thought you were asking you, if you i take, said you pick, no this is a hot potato you pick it up i don't uh, know yeah, where yeah, we're going next yeah, yeah, you're better yeah. you're you're quicker on your feet than i am so so fred you were talking about your vision for a greater america so yeah. let's, let's bring it back to a little something where we can all feel a little bit more comfortable. And that is the betterment of our fantastic country. Um, yeah. What are your, what are your, what's your vision? What do you, what do you, what are you trying to achieve? How are you achieving it? How can we help? Thank you. Um, it seems like the, uh, the easy route to success is the path that, that, People want to take more and more. And the more information we have our, at our fingertips, the less of it we use. We, we have become very, very shallow in, in how deeply we go. Like when I first thought or saw the Internet, I'm like, wow, everybody has access to everything. How smart are we going to be? But we're becoming the opposite because the very first thing that we search is something that we believe and there's support for it. There's 57,548 freaks around America that believe exactly what you believe. And, um, and so I'm just trying to make better leaders. And uh, if we can make better leaders, that's where it all starts. Because if you're a really good leader and your company has 10 people, 500 people, 5,000 people, 50,000 people, and you're a better leader, you can affect a whole lot of people to, to be better and to to be more honest and and to be resilient and and to accept failure as a part of life uh and and so that's that's my goal i literally want to change and this sounds hokey now but that's been my mission here for the for the last six years i, I want to change the lives of ten thousand people to the point where it makes some impact on them and drives them enough to want to change others' lives. So if I can do 10,000 and those 10,000 can do 1,000 and those 1,000 can do 100, that's a billion people. And uh, I, I, I don't know that I can get there, but I know I can get the 10,000. And and so that's what I mean by trying to trying to make a, a better America. There's just better values, uh, more honesty and uh, just more acceptance. Oh, I love this. I love it. I, everyone wants a better world, but not barely anyone ever does anything about it. 
And uh, I, you know what, PJ, there, there are two things you said there, neither of which I agree with. That everyone wants a better world. I don't agree with that. I think that there are unfortunately a lot of people that make that their living is that the, everything's falling apart. The, the, oh. you know, let, let me scare the shit out of you well, so you keep true, watching. Too. That's true. That's okay. True. Uh, and that not enough people do something about it. I'll tell you, in my everyday life, I come into contact with one person after another that's doing their damnedest to be good parents, good partners, good citizens, good neighbors. The vast majority of the people that are around us are good, decent people. Don't, don't believe the bullshit that you get out of uh, the, the many divisions. The divisions are, for the most part, made up because at, its, at our core, and of course, you got the fringes, there's no question about it, but at the core, the vast majority of the people of this country are good, decent, hardworking, honorable uh, want to do the right things. And, um, you know what, uh, people like, like you, Fred, uh, using your influence to do what it, frankly, it will take to get us back to a better place, which is better leadership. It, it, we, we see it at the national level. We see it at the state level in some of the States, bad leadership makes for bad policy, bad policy makes for bad outcomes, bad outcomes impact people's lives yep. adversely. So I commend commend you on uh, on what you're doing there, Fred, and and uh, we will be happy to add to the uh, show notes any information uh, for people who are interested in supporting that part. And also, of course, uh, let's let's let people know where they can find you uh, yeah. on Instagram. Uh, I know it's something with the word "real," right? Real Fred Carey or Fred Carey Real, something like that, right? I forget. It's uh, official, official Fred. Official, Carey. official Fred Carey. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I, if you're an entrepreneur or aspiring to become an entrepreneur and you're not following Fred Carey, you're missing out. I'm a, I've been at this for a long time and I watch what Fred has to say. Uh, and week after week, I come away with some insights that are impactful to me. I also forward them to my son, who's 21 years old and Good. aspiring entrepreneur. Uh, and I know that what Fred has to say would have an impact on him. So I encourage you to follow Fred um, and, uh, and, I just want to thank you. Uh, you know, you give us a lot of time, more time than uh, we're, we were frankly expected to have with you. Uh, Fred Carey is 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 an incredibly accomplished individual uh, who is also uh, a good guy and is trying to make the world a better place. And uh, I, I feel deeply, deeply uh, humbled that you shared some time with us. Uh, we we are so amazed, PJ and I both. Our podcast, which we launched last year is now a top 1% global popularity podcast. We have no idea how that happened other than guests like you. We've had the great fortune of having amazing guests one after the other come in here and land, you know, pearl after pearl of wisdom on our audience. Uh, today was no exception. In fact, I was messaging uh, PJ during the, during the uh, interview that this may have been, and PJ said it best in his response, the most impactful and useful interview we may have had, and uh, we're deeply, deeply grateful for you uh, to you for that. Absolutely. Wow. Well, uh, I know PJ, you were going to probably throw some more praise at me, but let me interrupt for a second to say that I really feel honored, especially with you guys being in the the top one percent. Um, I, I I do want to do this. Uh, I have well, well, two things. Number one, ideapros.com. Go on there, be a free member. Number two, we just created something with AI that we're pretty much going to give away because I want to, I want to make better people and I want to make better businesses. So I have something, if you have a business idea, you have to answer three questions 
And I'm going to give you a 70 page report in a day. Uh, and it's going to tell you everything that you need to know about your idea, how to monetize it, what the com competitive landscape looks like, how to write a pitch deck for it. Literally, we created a site AI tool that's insane. And it would cost you $20,000 to do something like this just a year ago. So go on there, be a free member. That's going to come up soon. And also one last thing I want to do for your audience is um, I have a, a course on purpose-driven entrepreneurship. It's normally like 500 bucks. I want to give it away for free. Uh, you just need to know the code, go big. Uh, and that's your code. If you go on official Fred Carey and, and hit my link tree, you'll see the course on there. Uh, click on it, sign up for it. It's uh, 15 modules, again, on purpose-driven entrepreneurship. Once you're done with it, you're really going to have a great foundation for, for going forward. Go big, and it's free. That's amazing. That's amazing. And also, I, I did want to, first of all, I did want to, of course, throw praise on you because I don't know, you're you're deserving of it. Um, but also, uh, just to, just to preface, um, when, I, when I said that not a lot of people are doing anything about it, Really what I mean is not a lot of people are doing it with intention and on scale that that Fred is doing, which I think is remarkable because everyone wants to do better, right? I think, yeah. I think human nature, we want to, we want to help and want to do better, but for you to actually have a plan and for you to go out there and say, I want to help 10,000 people and this is the math behind it. And this is why I want to do it. I think that's amazing. And the fact that you're doing it and we and Tal and I did not know about the free class and 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 all of the the amazing resources that you have that you're you're just throwing at our audience. We also are very appreciative of that as well. It's incredible. Thank you. Thanks so much. And that's a wrap, folks. Like what you heard? Want to support the show? Please follow our page on LinkedIn and Facebook. Visit us on YouTube and please like and rate us on all of your favorite podcast streaming services. You can also see exclusive content. Subscribe for free to our weekly blog, support our sponsors, and soon buy our merchandise at www.bravingbusiness.com. Thanks for being a part of our production, and we'll see you next time on the Braving Business Podcast. Mm -hmm.